Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. If you hold fast to the wrong thing, it it, it really kills you. And and literally, it's like you can look at the iPhone and the Newton and be like, same thing. Exactly, you don't. everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Rodney Evans, and I'm joined, as always, by my yet-to-be-infected-with-the-flu co-host, Aaron Dignan. All right, all right. On today's episode, we're going to talk about cross-functional teams, SWAT teams, Tiger teams, special project teams, initiative teams, etc. Insert colorful adjective here. But before we do, let's do a check-in. Okay. I love to check in. I uh, have been enjoying uh, check-ins that have been bouncing around the ready lately quite a bit. There's mm-hmm. some new innovations coming. And we did have a listener request on Twitter to document all the check-ins from the show thus far, which would be like 150-some check-in wild. questions. I actually would like to go back and read them. Today's addition to the list is what's something you've recently rediscovered? Okay. So take it away and I will, I'll back clean up. I made this check-in question because I have a tiny rant that I was going to put on Twitter, but then I didn't feel good. Your check-in questions are always just designed to let you talk about what you want to talk That's about. That's 100% true. If I write the check-in question, it's saving me work somewhere else. Efficiency. Uh, yeah. Um, it's like I do org design for a living. Okay. I got the flu at the end of our retreat, like two hours after everyone left. I just completely cratered. That's not the point of this. The point is... I feel like in a remote work world in particular, but certainly since we've had the technology to do a lot of our work from home, sick days became not a thing. Mm. And I have not taken a real ass sick day in I truly don't know how long. I've just been like, maybe I'm going to like not go to a meeting or I don't know, try to like be done a little bit early or rest or whatever. Monday and Tuesday, I was so sick with the flu that I did I did like one call each day. And otherwise, I was just like, I have to go to bed night night right now. <laughs> and here's what I'm going to say. I really want to bring back the sick day because I just feel like I'm getting better a lot faster because I actually rested. And mm. normally when I get sick like this, it would be like, a very long endeavor because I wouldn't take care of it. And and be just saying to a team when they're like, are you available for this? Just being like, I am not. I am going to watch a movie and go back to bed is really liberating. And I think we should do that. I think we should just not try to half take care of ourselves and half do work. We should just, if we have the ability to, just be sick when we're sick for a minute, yes. for a day or two or however long it takes you to get better, and then be able to come back feeling like a human person. That's fantastic. Yeah. I rediscovered sick days. I like it. For all the things we've talked about on the show where I 
am inadequate in self-care. Mm. I actually do a decent job at that. So it's funny you? to hear you talk. About. Yeah, I, I love. I don't know if I've ever known you to be sick. I Well, I'm rarely sick, but when I am sick, it usually is bad news. And I'm definitely like, that's it. Like I'm not leaving bed all day. Yeah. And I, I take that to the bank. Like I will wake up in bed and go to sleep in bed and have only gotten up to like get a beverage. <laughs> so good. I watched yeah. so much TV. It's fantastic. It was the best. My my answer to this question, my answer to this question mm-hmm. is much more prosaic. Oh, because the thing that I've rediscovered is wiping off my glasses with like <laughs> the right the <laughs> right cloth and the right spray. Okay. <laughs> And I was one of those people who was a very lazy glasses maintenance person where I would just like wipe it with my shirt, wipe it with whatever is nearby. And eventually it was like my my vision was degraded by how scratched (laughs) the lenses were. So with this most recent set, I really rediscovered like I'm going to treat these with respect and wipe them with only the right thing. Uh And now I have batches of these cloths in like every pocket and bag and travel case and I'm loving life. Amazing. And I'm helping other people who need them. I was going to say, I feel like you have to, if you're a glasses person, you either have to be that person or travel with that person. Yes. Like Ed has the correct microfiber cloth. At I'm all not times. surprised. I'm not surprised. I mean, you know, that person is prepared for everything. And I've never, I don't think owned one of those things. And it's the best. It's the best. And if you're also a germaphobe like me, seeing someone else with gunky glasses is a lot. Mm. And so I really, I like to help. Like, can we, uh, could like, we? <laughs> you're just going to be that guy on the street who's like, excuse me, ma'am. Yeah. Can you see through those glasses? <laughs> I imagine you can't see. <laughs> <laughs> Might I yeah. be of assistance? Thank That's you, amazing. sir. Amazing. <laughs> okay. So today's topic is how to stand something up that's not business as usual that requires teaming across multiple teams or multiple functions. Because we haven't done a show on this. It comes up in our work literally every day and internally. And so I'm going to, my opening provocation to you is why is this such an absolute shit show all the time? (laughs) Why not? Uh, Okay, so where to begin? I think the first thing about it that's sort of interesting to me is that when we've talked before about the different kinds of structures in a business, there's the formal structure, there's the informal structure, the social structure, and then there's the value creation structure. And those can be very similar to each other or very different. And what I find unusual about work in the business as usual space is that we have a formal structure that's very functionalized usually usually and very siloed and where everybody is very busy with the things that have already been approved and and accepted as as the the work of those functions and those teams and even with some some cross functional work maybe that's ongoing but then as soon as you add a new thing to the table that is strategic and interesting it is inherently cross functional and it inherently does not fit in that formal structure yeah. so you're you're basically playing like a game that the system is not designed to play very well cuz most traditional firms don't have a value creation structure that they're aware of. Mm-hmm. They basically have like the formal lines and dots and, and you know, org chart. And then they have the informal structure of people like with their relationships with each other. And then the value creation stuff is sort of happening in between. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, so I think that's one of the reasons why it's a shit show is that you've got a structure that's not prepared to do that very well. And then the other problem is really just about, is about like time, which mm-hmm. is, 
which is to say that most organizations do not have Slack in the system. Mm-hmm. So, and I don't mean Slack like our sponsor Slack. I mean Slack like there's no free time. And so as a result, like anything you lay on top is extra. Yeah. And one of the things that you and I have had a front row seat on with cross-functional teaming is that if it's really important and it's really interesting, it's it's got to be dedicated. Like it needs yeah. to be, you know, as close to full-time as possible. And you're just not going to get that in a traditional system. So you basically have like people coming together in a cross-functional way without enough time on another thing that sits on top of the structure that doesn't really fit. And then uh, the last thing I'll say is they're kind of us- usually not that well chartered. So mm-hmm. in terms of understanding like who's on first, who's on second, role work, purpose work, all that kind of like that stuff tends to also be a mess. The, you know, ergo shit show, I guess, is mm-hmm. the that's my opening salvo on, okay, on cross functional. Yeah. What did I miss or what would you, you know, rant further on? Um, all of that is totally true and right. And I feel like the other couple of things that come to mind are one, it always feels to me energetically, even if it's not exactly true, like the the cross-functional initiative or project or work or something like that, like will be really exciting because it's often on something incremental or in its investment or a bet or something we're not doing already. And we're like, yeah, let's go get it. And then there's this immediate like grippiness of mm. what is that going to cost the core business? Right. And like, well, we can't, it's, I, I just feel like I've had the conversation a lot of like, but we can't let this other thing fail. Like, like, okay, so we want to reimagine, you know, I sit in HR and this is the year that we're going to finally have a compensation, a global compensation system in place. This is a real story from my life. And <laughs> to do that effectively is going to take the whole year right. to, to move from a legacy system, et cetera. And then it's immediately like, but we can't have any mistakes in comp. Like comp has to work perfectly in this hacked to get together way that it's working now. And and we just like get stuck in this protecting the existing thing that isn't working really yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. And and not being able to sort of like borrow from that or tolerate messiness in that in order to get this other thing. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is. I think that a lot of times, um, to your point about chartering, but also just as like a mentality, I feel like the work of cross-functional teams will often be identified. And we should talk about where it comes from because I think the provenance of that work is interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, But then there's a very like reductionist approach that's like, okay, whose share of the task is each of these things. And we sort of farm it out to the functions. And we think that somehow those pieces are going to add up to deliver the mission. And there's not usually a mindset of like, this is a piece of work that needs to be done. Now this is a team. Like now this is a no shit team that is chartered to do this work. It's more like this is a piece of work to be done. And now we're going to organize that work around our existing structure and like hope for the best. And that it usually, in my experience, is where it falls apart because it's a lot of handshakes. It's a lot of like, I do my part and then I send it to you and then you better do your part. And then we you send it on. And there's not the level of coordination and communication and working in public that you would expect if we were actually a team. Yes. So it's like cross-functional work, I feel like, is often separated from cross-functional teaming. Yes. And that maybe is where it falls apart. For sure. Because I think... One of the things I love to bitch about when standing up teams at clients is allegiances. 
and where mm. those allegiances lie. <laughs> and to your point, if we leave those allegiances lying in the functions, yeah. and this is just like a thing that has been farmed out, then it gets stack ranked with a bunch of other shit. Yeah. And if the functional leaders don't care about it or don't rank it as highly as another one does, it's very easy for it to get like deprioritized or even just to get out of sync in terms of timing and readiness and where it's going. Because to your point, it's not a team and nobody identifies with that as their first priority. Yeah. And that's and that's really like the battle cry of organizing around value creation is people's first and, and like main allegiance has to be to creating value for the customer, which means like doing something cross-functionally. Totally. You know? I was in a conversation this week with an executive team about this very thing. And they were talking about OKRs. And I'm, you know, I'm calling this out because it's recent, but <laughs> I've had this conversation like dozens of times. And the head of product very legitimately was like, if we have a no-fail OKR within product and then one comes as part of our cross-functional strategy, yeah, which one is more important? Like they, if they're both no-fail, but like we can't do everything, right? how is the team meant to choose? And, and, to, to be honest, like I can't think of a time I've been in a cross-functional team where that wasn't the case. Right. Where it's like, I'm on this cross-functional team because it's mega important and some big boss said we needed to do it. And then my functional head is like, bitch, you better get your shit done for me because yep. Like, yep. like, you're not going to let that drop because like this butthead said that we were doing this other initiative this year. And I think that's why so many teams, when we go to them initially, complain about prioritization. Because at the end of the day, there's a there's a kind of a meme or a narrative or a trope in business, which is like we want it all like we yeah. want, you know, we want to be able to do this and this and this. Yeah. And the way we'll do that is just by everyone works harder. Mm -hmm. But there's no acknowledgement that there are actual trade offs or actual even overs that there is a limited amount of time, a limited amount of energy, a limited amount of heat in the universe there just is no acknowledgement of that. And so yeah. it's like, yeah, you need to hit all your goals and this new one I just gave you. And it's just kind of a tough shit attitude. Mm -hmm. I think it's really detrimental. I actually think like one of the reasons even overs are so fun and we talk about them so much on the show is like, it's a forcing function to say, yes, we want both. But if we have to choose, if mm -hmm. it comes to it, which one wins? Mm -hmm. People hate confronting that. And, and it is, it's yeah. reality. It is reality. And the other thing I want to throw in the stew and ask you about is this, because I've also seen this a lot, is where the business is like, it's both and, let's find a way. And then they're like, we we understand what we're asking, so we'll resource it. Like, we'll throw uh -huh. money at it, or we'll throw, you know, human beings at it, or whatever, that's better than saying we'll just add to <laughs> right. the stack of these same human beings who have to do this work. But but ultimately, it's not really better because because a lot of times you're adding to complexity. You're not actually adding capacity. Right. And I don't know exactly why that goes off the rails, but like there's something in there that's like about the organization's ability to actually integrate and digest new things. There's something about task switching. There's something about, I don't know. I don't know. You tell me what's in there, but that's where, when I'm like, when I'm like, choose, they're like, but what if I, get, what if I <laughs> added a million dollars to the budget? I'm like, I feel like that's not going to help, but I'm not always clear on why. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, you're talking about the mythical man month, like great old book that you can dust off. And, and you're exactly right that 
there are situations and types of projects and types of organizations where adding effort and adding people and adding money to the situation doesn't make it go any faster. Mm-hmm. And, and the like silly t- turn of phrase that I've heard agile coaches use is like, if you have four women in a room, can they make a baby any faster? It's like, <laughs> no, it just, that's not how it works, you know? Uh-huh. And I think the same, so I think you're absolutely right. And, and often it's just another way of avoiding the tough choice. Yeah. Um, so I think resources help, but there's still whip limits. And to your point, there's like integration time and communications complexity that goes up and it's all very messy. And, and honestly, like it's something that I've been wrestling with a little bit on the, on the murmur side for the last couple of years is, you know, I'll say like, could we go faster if we had more engineers and the engineers are like, no, Mm -hmm. because it's just gonna, it's just gonna be like adding icing to, 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 to too little cake. Mm-hmm. You know, like we don't have enough clarity of the different systems. We don't have enough maturity in the in the code base. We don't have enough lattice work to like manage the comms. Like we don't have enough a house yet to yeah. put a, a helipad on the roof. And and so you're it it's just not helpful. Here's what's interesting is like when is it helpful and when is it not? Because here's where my mind is going right now. Now this isn't a conversation for listeners. We're just going to figure some shit out. Now we're just figuring shit out. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Welcome to our therapy session. <laughs> um, if you if you think about, I can't I can't speak to the inner workings of Murmur, but maybe there's some parallels here. If I think about our transformation work versus work that yeah. like the agency within the Ready does, which is assets and content and growth show. work and this show, etc transformation work is like when I am in a client and they're like, if there were two more of you, could this go faster? I'm usually like, probably not. Right. Sometimes, sometimes when, sometimes when I am over my capacity because the client wants to do so much stuff, I become the bottleneck and more transformers is the thing. But that's like, I know where you're going. And whereas on the agency side at the ready, like bodies would do a lot yes. of the thing because yes. it's like we just need to make a bunch of stuff and we know what that stuff so like what's the I have a theory what am I getting at okay do it I didn't have a theory before you started talking but Sweet. the way the show works is you start talking and then you're like make my model mind go there you go I so what I think is going on is when you can further define and disintermediate and make more narrow the scope of work and have like more specialty in the mix, Mm, mm, then more mm. roles helps because it's Ah. like we're going to have a podcast producer and a showrunner and an artist. And like those are so specialized that Uh that like additional help kind of has a lane and it isn't mired down in the bullshit that the other roles are doing. But if it's like another transformer or another engineer, there's no specialization. And so you actually end up with like that problem, that problem of like, there's just layers of peanut butter here. That's really interesting. It's interesting to me that that's true for engineering, which I know less about. Yeah. And I think honestly, when I talk to engineers about it, they're like the way that we could make more use of engineers is to have more structure so that we can be more specialized. Okay. So it's like, this is the front end team, the back end team. This is the data person. This is the editor person, like really getting the roles more 
more clarified and more specialized would would allow more expansion. But just throwing more generalists into the soup is like a shit show. Okay, so here's the matrix that's emerging okay. in my mind. <laughs> Great. Is like this on is the, the t-shirt. <laughs> Where is our merch? We need a merch team. Speaking of roles. On the X axis is specialized to generalist. And on the Y axis is low context to high context. Ah, uh, yeah. Because it's like a podcast producer who produced work life. Yes. Could come and produce this show without probably even listening to most of the episodes. Without missing a beat. Yeah. High specialization, low context. Great fit. Love it. A transformer who's going into an existing project that we've had for two years. Exact opposite. High generalist, high context. Whoops. Cannot just add bodies. Yeah, that's a mess. Okay, that's the matrix, y'all. And that's where things go well with adding resources. I mean, I think it's a useful thing to think about because there are places where just like throwing gas on the fire really does do something. And then there are places where it doesn't. And I feel like it's interesting to parse those and have that as a model. Yeah, absolutely. And ideally, back to the subject of the episode. If, oh, right. Wait, what is this show about? I forgot. <laughs> if you are trying to get cross-functional teaming right, and the, and the occasion is a, a special project or, or, or initiative or something like that, if it's well-designed, chances are it is somewhat specialized in the role mix that it needs. And it is somewhat low context at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Because you have, you know, you're getting started and, and it's mm-hmm. you're building context as you go. If it's already moving, of course, that means the context cost is going up. Yeah. But but at a minimum, you would think of a cross-functional team as being more specialized where you where you do need you need the right butts and seats to to build the team. Yes, but. Yes, but. Yes, but. Think about. I believe it's yes this, and. In no, nope, not today. <laughs> not today, homie. Um. In the cross-functional team, like here, here's just a, an easy example, but use this model, fam, when you're thinking about this kind of cross-functional teaming, because you might, if if the big boss who, you know, threw this neato yep. mission over to you to figure out how to execute against while you're doing all of your day jobs is like, you you know, how how would you spend a bunch of money if you had it? Think about what roles could serve the team that are high specialization, low context, because if what the team needs as part of their work is a bunch of Notion pages configured or a really dope WordPress site spun up to house all of the assets that are going to be created or whatever, you might be able to like just spend money on a dope contractor who doesn't really have to stay integrated in your dynamic team soup to nuts in order to be really useful. Totally. And you might want to not throw that money at someone who is meant to be a generalist who's in it for the long haul. If you yeah. have enough of those already. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You're also making me think a little bit about structure work generally, which is to mm. say often you have, if you're doing it right, you have these kind of cross-functional value creation structures at the edge that are business units or product units, service units, geo units, whatever they are, and they do the work. But then in order to do that work, sometimes they need things and the things they need Mm. might come from shared services or help desk type circles and teams that sit in the center. And if they can't get what they need from them or they can't or they're or they themselves are backlogged, 
then they can go to the outside market to get it. And when you were talking about going to get that contractor, I was like, yeah, in a small system like ours, it it probably is a contractor. Mm -hmm. In a really big system, if the ready was a thousand people, there might be a couple help desks that could do that work if they're not too busy or if they're the right fit for that business unit. And if not, then they're going to the outside market. So depending on the scale of your company, you're probably looking at the team anatomy and whether it's inside or outside differently. Totally. And back to the point of this episode, what often happens in the case that you're talking about that I would like to see shift is where there's like, oh, you know, we should have, we need this kind of help from the call center. We need this kind of help from wherever. Mm-hmm. Often those those folks are treated as like other or bolt-on and not as a core part of the team. Yeah. And I think where you get real cross-functional performance and flow is where that role is a chartered role within the team and it can be filled by someone who is part of an internal team that exists. But it's not just like, oh yeah, on Tuesday, Bob's job is to call the guy in the call center and ask him a bunch of questions and then bring the information back. The move is to be like, who, you know, who from the call center can we have five hours of time per week from to be part of this cross-functional team? Because that's really what it would take to get it done. Yeah, it's not a McDonald's drive through window. It is like have the chef come to your house and cook together. Um, okay, so here's the other thing I want to talk about, and apparently you do too. I I feel like when I see cross-functional teams get spun up in companies, every time it happens, it's like a whole new world. Like this is how it was <laughs> when I worked in a big company. Every time there was a special project... I got tapped for it because I was a high performer. Mm-mm. And every time the first meeting was like, so what How are we gonna do this? should we do? And so I feel like there's the content of the mission, which is like this mission is to expand into a new region. This mission is to create a global compensation system. This mission is to rethink, uh, no, no, our hiring process. Well, I don't know, whatever. But then there's the like playbook, there's the how, there's the OS of cross-functional teaming that I would think a lot of it would be repeatable. So let's talk about Absolutely. that. Like what are the what are the moves that you probably always need to do this well? Cuz if you have those containers, then you can pour whatever you want in them. Totally. Yeah, I I'm going to talk about two components and then I'm curious whether you will blow those apart or add to them. Can't wait. But the the two components that I would start with in this conversation are the what I'll call the bet charter and the team charter. Ooh. And so one of the mistakes that I think is made presently when people do this is they either don't charter at all. It's just like some VPs told someone we need to remake the hiring process. That was the whole brief. And then yeah. now there are nine people in a room who are like, uh... <laughs> Uh-oh. That's normal, I think. Um, but but what I'm talking about is like there's the definition of what we're trying to do and what good looks like or how we're going to measure it or what why we're doing it. That sort of context and and commitment stuff, which is about the strategy and and the direction. And then there's the team stuff, which is like how are we going to pursue that? And usually they're either crammed together in one document that's handed off and then not revisited, or they're not done at all. And I actually think they're better done cleanly and separately where it's like Mm. the people with the authority to make bets, whether that's everybody or only a few people have made a bet. Here it is. Here's the write up of it. And we all agree and consent to that. And now the team that has been 
either invited or handpicked or hand raised. Now they come together around that. And it's like, well, now we have 10 other questions to answer about Mm -hmm. how we're actually going to do that work and what roles we're all holding, et cetera. So I'm curious what you would like either poke at there or add to that in terms of building a recipe book. I feel like that's really cool. I just have questions. Great. Um, So I love the bet charter thing. I feel like this is very much your like venture model mind, which I dig, which for the listeners who don't have to listen to Aaron all day, this is like, (laughs) this is like being really clear on what the expected return is and then, and then checking in to see if we actually got it so that it's a real bet. It's not just a thing that we did a bunch of work (laughs) on and then no one really knows if, if the wager was worth it or not. So my first question is, I feel like really interesting and smart bets or at least provocations around bets can and should come from different parts of the organization. And this is an area where normally I'm like, if you're in a leadership role, maybe don't just create work for people who don't <laughs> work with you. But but actually, I think like strategically, this is where leaders who have a really good beat on the market should play because they yeah. should be the people paying attention to the competitive landscape and what's sure. coming and be like, with my strategy hat on, here's an opportunity that I think we should be exploring. So talk to me about, say I'm that leader and say that I'm like, here's here's the place that I think we should spin up a cross-functional team to play. Now I'm out of it because I'm just going to go back to my ivory tower and like somebody else figured out. What's the balance between the bet that I think we should make as the initiator of the thing and the bet that the cross-functional team who actually has domain knowledge and subject matter expertise believes the bet should be? Yeah, that's, I, I mean, that's a really nuanced question. I think the the way I would parse it is the bet itself should be generic enough that there's a lot of room for interpretation and learning on behalf of the team. So that's the first yeah. thing I would say is let's not over-engineer it. If it's like three pages of detailed OKRs and you know all that, like that's too that's too much. You've done mm-hmm. too much work and you're probably wrong. So that's I think that would be the first thing. The second thing is just thinking about the governance structure around bet making generally, which is to say, you know, if you're going, if you have an idea that you see, see something interesting, who else do you want to get consent from to round out that that bet charter and make it more interesting and more nuanced? And that might mm. be a cross-functional group of your peers. It might be people that work with and for you that have like more context to your point, but it, but it probably shouldn't just be you. <laughs> So, mm-hmm. you know, even if it's a small group, I think I think figuring out where, where that happens. And, and I guess the the side note to that would be, does the organization already have a part of its operating rhythm where it makes bets in a certain way with a process? And then that would be an ideal place to get that more ironed out so mm-hmm. that you, if you're making quarterly bets or something like that, the right groups are doing it in the right way. But even if it's ad hoc, I would just be thinking about who are the three to five other people in roles, whether they work alongside me, above me or below me, that could add texture to this and make it sharper and make it better. Let's get their consent on on the bet charter and then make sure that it's still open-ended enough and, and interpretable enough that the team can have a lot of fun with it. And all also that the team knows who, which group of individuals to go to if they do decide they really want to go off book and like, yeah, we've learned something and we're really pivoting. 
who can they make that proposal to or seek that advice from if we want to give them even more power? I think that's super interesting too. That's cool. Yeah. The other idea that gave me is, because this is something that's happening at the ready right now and we'll see if it works, but I had an idea that now is kind of like out of my hands and in the wild, but I know a lot about the idea because I thought of it. And the role now that I am being asked to play in the cross-functional team is just an advice role, which I which I think makes a lot of sense. And just to be clear, it is just advice. Like they don't have to take it because the team that's now bringing that idea to market is right. accountable for it. It's not it's not mine anymore. Mm-hmm. It's it is that team's is that product owners and. I think it's an interesting model for them to basically be like the role that we want you in, since you're not going to be in the design or the delivery of this thing for real, for real is this like advisor role, because we basically want to be able to bounce stuff off of you and be like, is this what you meant? Or is this what you meant? Does this make sense? You know, we're, we're, we're pivoting from the original idea. Does this make sense to you? Like, I think that's a cool thing because presumably in a company, if there's somebody who has an idea based on market insight, it's because they had insight. And so if they're not just like a total butthead and they're someone that you're willing to keep around, keeping them in an advice, not approval role might be an interesting role for them to hold in that cross-functional team, which might look like them showing up once a quarter to an advice meeting or just being in a Slack channel where somebody can tag me and be like, yo, here's a quick, here's a quick question that we realized we'd like your take on. I think that's very interesting, particularly because I, I believe there are different kinds of ideas where no, the, there's only the one kind. <laughs> just one. Um, I think there are different, yeah, there are different species of of projects in this camp. Some of them are are so data driven and so empirical that mm. they don't need, they don't run on intuition and taste. They mm-hmm. don't run on like gut. They run on like, we need to lower the time it takes for the button to get clicked from mm-hmm. 500 milliseconds to hundred milliseconds. And then you just get to work and you don't need to like interpret or get the vision right. And then there are other ideas like the one you're talking about where a lot of it is in like the taste and the execution and feeling the market and knowing how to do it well, yeah. where it, it kind of matters how you dance the dance. Yeah. And in those cases, I think you want to be close to source. And by source, mm. I mean, not our circle name, but like the person or, or people who were like there when the light bulb went off mm-hmm. are typically tuned into something that feels like taste. Yeah. And, and so I think in those cases, you want to have that advice role. And then I actually think there are some projects and it's worth it with some of our listeners that are in bigger systems like there are some projects where if it's that important and the taste is such a critical component that maybe you should be the product owner mm. and don't let it go you yeah, know and totally. and like just show up and that's your job now for a while and i think like those all those different tiers have different team designs that also reminds me of a project that i was a part of a while ago to to your to illustrate your exact point where the mission that was from the lead of this organization was about reducing cycle times. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it was based on data that she had gathered in the universe about what was possible in this kind of workflow that was a production workflow. But like she created that mission based on analysis and research and and then kind of farmed it out to say, okay, you know, I'm not the person running the machines. So this is what we're aiming for. And And then basically that was it. 
because like right. she didn't, you know, from there she was like, this is what I think is possible. This, you know, we've, <laughs> we've hired you this partner and they're ready to help you figure out how to do it. <laughs> and then it was really like, it was our job to like, you know, to charter and coach and teach new ways of working for this cross-functional team that was in pursuit of reduced cycle times. But basically from there, the work with the initiator of the mission was like kind of like a monthly or like a bi-monthly even check-in yeah. that was like, here's what's hey, up. here's what we've tried. Here's how much it's reduced cycle time so far. Right. Here's what here's what we tried this time. And 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 then, you know, by the end of I think it was like 12 months or something, it was like, we've actually reduced it further than you even said. And now here's the playbook for reducing cycle times. So it like to your point, she didn't really need to be a part of that team because no. it was at that point it was more like, we'll just like let you know when we figured it out or if we can't. This whole dance is like a game of telephone. Where if the thing that you're transmitting is something that someone can just read and look at a number and be like, yeah. I, I now see everything you saw because we're all looking at the same number. That is so different from something where you're like, I have this idea for a piece of art and it's going to be <laughs> kind of like a Rothko, but kind of like a Pollock. Like that is not going to telephone well, you know, yeah. and so you have to stay involved. But if it is like, yeah, cut the when I hit play in Spotify, I want it to start playing in this many milliseconds. Yeah. They now know everything, you know. Yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. no there's no hidden context. Yeah. And I also think that in the you know, I'm thinking about a piece of art. You all go paint it for me. Then there's also an interesting dance between you know, what what the source of that idea had envisioned and had in mind and what the team learns by actually doing right. activity Reality. and market validation. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, you know, maybe the painting I envisioned is, you know, nobody wants to sell and it's just like right. sitting on the block at Christie's. And maybe what the team discovers through working and other advice and testing is that, you know, 40 degrees off of the original idea is actually the move. And so I think there's an interesting, and this is where I think sometimes people in like, more formal leadership roles don't always get out of the way when they see the idea. Yeah. Then they're just like, you know, they hold they hold too fast to the vision in mind rather than letting the creative process and market validation inform what it might be. And I and I know, you know, I'm I'm as guilty as anyone of like, please don't, you know, don't kill my darling. But right. I feel like that's where that's where this cross functional thing really comes into like being super valuable is when the team is given a mission and they're also given some degree of freedom yep. around, you know, changing the mission or yeah. the, or the end state looking a little bit different than what was anticipated. The what degree is the artistry of this that yeah. we can't tell the listeners how to do because there are things where it, the, the, inimitableness of it the thing that makes it so unique is that somebody really holds fast to their yeah. vision and the world is like not ready for it and then suddenly it is and you're like whoa yeah. I've never seen a movie like Toy Story before right. and then there are situations where it's like you know if you hold fast to the wrong thing it it, it really kills you and and literally it's like you can look at the iPhone and the Newton and be like same thing same is. exactly you don't <laughs> Because the Newton was the handheld Apple device that failed. Oh. And and so I think it's funny that like you can hold fast on something and just be wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or yeah. you can hold fast and be, you know, very, very and right. Be early. 
Yeah, exactly. So I just think, or early, yeah. So I think like the artistry is probably in talking about the nature of what you're trying to do and how, what role you think being distinctive and being committed to like the art of it is important. And there's probably a huge gradient there between like things that are going to be mostly about reacting to the market and understanding it and other things where it's like, you're just going to have to make a bet and trust. And it's like, we're just going to let this person art direct and hope it works. And I think where this can take a really practical turn in terms of org design is it's okay to A-B test that. Like, you know, if we want to A-B test, like the MVP of Rodney's very like inspired, but maybe not yet market fitted idea against a version of it that our clients have said like, yeah, we'll buy that shit. Let's do it. Let's yep. do it. Let's not be constrained by one or the other, but let's know let's let's know when we're making that choice. Let's know when we're like the world doesn't yet know that they want this thing and we are going to show them and let's know when we're like we have a lot of signal around this so we're going to build something that we know people will eat. This is the thing that big systems waste the most in Ooh, my opinion. Say like, more. There's a million things about being a big system that suck ass. Like it is so hard. You get big, you get bureaucratic. You're like, have to report stuff. You manage your IPO. You got to deal with your shareholders and the analysts and all this other stuff. There's a million things about it that are hard. The one thing you have going for you at scale is that you can do more concurrent experimentation. So true. And and we're so resistant to it because we're taught efficiency, efficiency, efficiency that everybody's like, I would never put two of the same thing in development with different approaches because how wasteful is that? And it's yeah. like, that's your waste genius that you get to have that the startup can't have. Right. They literally right. can't do it. And you right. can and you don't. And you don't because we're Weak. so concerned about like picking the right direction before we take a step. Yeah. And instead, you can guarantee that you're right by running five concurrent teams attacking the same problem and be sure that one of them will slap. Fuck, that's so true. And then you just wasted a little bit of money. But if the thing you get is the iPhone or anything, even one one hundredth is good, it pays for itself for the next decade. Yeah. You know, so you don't have to worry about that waste. And I think that is like if I could if I could add anything to the cross-functional teaming playbook, it would be what you just said, which is like, if if you're not sure about how close to an artistic direction you need to be, maybe run parallel experiments. Yeah, that's rad. Okay, wait, we got way, we way. got way, Far way off field. beast here, bud. So we were talking about <laughs> the bet I like charter. Use ski terms. <laughs> Skiing and riding. We talked about the bet charter. And sailing. There's a forthcoming article about strategy that is all Wonderful. using sailing metaphors. <laughs> It's all I very can't fancy. wait to send it to you all. There's, I had to describe what tacking means. Okay, uh, which you also do in horseback riding. Hey, true. So we talked about the bet charter. Now let's talk about the team charter, because you said that at the beginning. Yes, I did. And then we, I did say and then we talked about a lot of other things. So let's talk a little bit about what maybe because we've talked about chartering before on this show, and probably most people in the world have experienced some version of team chartering. Sure. So what's different about cross-functional team chartering than just regular team chartering. Mm. I'm curious what you think about that. My my gut is like a lot of it is the same, but the temporality of it and the fact that the team might morph and that people's allegiances might be temporary or, or fleeting, like changes it a little bit. But 
my head goes to a lot of the same places, just maybe with a slightly different context. What do you think the biggest difference is? Mm, a few things. So one is, I think when you charter a cross-functional team, you have to accept the fact that it's going to be a swag in a way that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for mostly when we charter intact teams, it's more about codifying what we know to be true and clearing up the 20% that is unclear. With a cross-functional team, basically, we if we have this bet charter, this is our best swag at what we believe the roles are that are necessary to make the bet. But yeah. we also have to know that we're wrong and we're all we're not codifying work that's already in progress. Right. So we have to start somewhere. And this can be a little bit of a chicken and an egg thing I, yeah. I've experienced where teams are like, but what if we don't have the right people? And I'm like, you won't. Like it, you won't already, have the right people. We've already failed. And we're going to invite Jenny two weeks from now. And we're just going to tell her that it's not because we don't love her. It's because we didn't know we needed marketing help. And now we know. And so here we go. Yep. Um, so that's one thing is I think it's more of a, it's more of a swag than regular team chartering. Two is, I think that in cross-functional chartering, the role of authority is even more important. And clarifying, the most important thing to me in a cross-functional team charter is what can this team decide? Because where cross-functional teaming just absolutely goes off the rails all fucking time (laughs) is a group getting together and being like, okay, we have this mission that we're supposed to be accomplishing. We have this bet charter that this SVP gave us and no one in this room knows who we need approval from to do anything. Right. So like if it's money from that SVP whose neato idea it was great. If it's like, it's like the first time that you go, Oh shit, we could really use a copywriter and everybody looks at each other and goes, who has a thousand dollars? Yep. And it just like, it go, or, you know, the first time that somebody goes, it would be really helpful if we could get together for a day and work on this. And everybody goes like, I don't, where does that budget come from? And who can say yes to that and whatever. So like, it's messy, but it's worth getting super clear on what the protected domain is and making sure that all of the people who hold power, who are going to be mad about it later are aware of that. Because it just goes, it just goes off the rails. The second that like, you know, the CTO is like, why is this person in five hours of meetings a week? I need them at their desk pushing code. And it's like, well, because of the charter that was agreed upon and et cetera. So I think that I think that sort of domain thing is more important. And then also within the charter, as you're clarifying roles, authority within those roles versus what the team's authority is gets really, really important because cross-functional teams tend to not have the same hierarchical ordering Mm -hmm. as a regular team. And so it becomes a lot more important where it's like, okay, if Aaron's the product owner and I'm the subject matter expertise and we disagree on what goes on the landing page, Mm -hmm. who makes the final call? We should just decide about that when we're chartering, not when we are fighting. Yes. Because <laughs> like, and and again, it's going to be a swag, but you can anticipate to some degree the the material on which each role is going to have really strong opinions and is going to want to have the final call. And it's better to have that out a bit early on than when it's too late. Yeah. Because at that point, it's like semi-low stakes. 
Yeah. I, the other idea that you gave me when you were talking and it, that's a little bit off piece is <laughs> like the, the, the challenge with cross-functional teaming from a finance perspective is in modeling mm. what it is going to cost. <laughs> because you're often borrowing from Peter to pay Paul and you've got a resource that is now at 5% dedicated, but then they have authority over a 10K spending budget. So now they're bringing some of that along and it gets really messy really fast where you're like, I don't know how to total cost this. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's really movable. And so I think there's probably an ERP opportunity in here for someone to say, what if you could just model that in software really quick and just like mm. drag five people over, put a percentage of their time in, drag some money over and and hit send and have like everybody who's involved be like, yep, that looks about right. And now we have a rough calibration of like, what what's it going to cost us and and what kind of flex do they have to to spend and do beyond that? Because to your point, if everybody shows up and they can't even spend a grand on something, that's yeah. not a team. Yeah. You know, that's just a bunch of kids at the playground kind of running back to their parents and being like, can I go on the slide? Can I have money? Yeah. And it, I mean, I feel like it's sort of silly, but that dynamic really undermines the idea that this mission might be something really strategically important. It's doo-doo. Like I have, I've coached, I, I have coached this year, a team that was doing something incredibly important. And fortunately it, it was comprised of, really senior leaders who had access to money. So when they wanted to do something, for the most part, they could figure it out. Yeah. But it was still a version of what you're talking about where they were like, well, I can I can pony up for this thing. And it didn't, it didn't feel the way you want that conversation to feel, where it's right. like, we have this budget. It is for this mission. As a group of people, we're going to decide how we spend it and how we steward these resources effectively. It felt more like every time there was an ask, it was like potluck where everybody yep. was like, I have $10 to contribute. And it's like, yuck. Yeah. Cause, well, it's the, I, Cause to your point, it's the same, it's the same amount of money, whether yeah. John, you know, pulls it out of the legal budget and puts it into this pot or right. whether it gets spent, it doesn't really matter. It's still it's the resources of the organization, but psychically it feels better when as a cross-functional team with a interesting or important mission, our bet charter comes attached with the actual pot of money that we need to bet. Back when we were talking an hour ago, you mentioned (laughs) that I am obsessed with venture math. And Uh one of the reasons is that in this conversation and in this dynamic, it's really helpful if you can go back to the bet charter and be like, we think that this is a $10 million opportunity in year one if we succeed. And so that's a 10x on our investment, which means the way we're going to feel about this is that we need to feel like we have at least a 10% chance of being Mm -hmm. successful. Mm-hmm. So like that, that's the, the math of it is like, we have a 10% chance of making 10 million bucks and we're going to spend 1 million for that chance. That's yeah. a break even project. Like yeah. even if it fails that, that math works out. And if it's a million dollars spend on a hundred X opportunity and we still have a 10% chance, then if they need money, they should get it. Yeah. Like essentially we're, we're playing, the odds are in our favor. And so I think very vanishingly few projects do that modeling because most corporate projects assume 100% success. Mm-hmm. They're just like, this will be 100% successful and it'll hit plan. And it's like, that's not how bets work. Yeah, They all they all have a chance they'll work and then the degrees to which they might work. And so I think playing playing with that math a little bit in the bet charter will allow the team later to justify expense or not, or be, or be mm-hmm. told that it's not worth it based on what's, possible and what is likely. Totally. I love that. Which is fun. 
One thing I want to talk about, this is the thing that I learned when I was uh, worked at a bank that yeah. is one of the, the takeaways that I captain to this day refer to. When we did annual planning, there was run the bank work and change the bank work. And those things had different budgets and different orientations. We will not talk about the execution of that work because it is not material to this discussion. But I do think that where often I am... I just want to say like slightly disappointed because I think it doesn't fulfill its potential in cross-functional work is that it seems like it is always geared toward something incremental Mm. when a lot of times the most banging cross-functional teaming I've seen is the reimagination or reinvention of something that already exists. Yeah. So like, you know, the the reduction of cycle times, that was that was run the business work. We make yep. this thing yep. in a factory and we want to make it 50% faster. That was a dope cross-functional project. And I I I wonder about how, especially I think when when teams or organizations are under pressure because of the market or the stock price or earnings or whatever, I, I feel like a lot of the missions end up being incremental or, or or new, net new, change the bank stuff. And I wonder about the the polarity between those things. Yeah, that's cool. It's funny because I, I started picturing a bit of a matrix or something where it's oh, like... good. Two know, models in one show, you guys. Why not, How many consultants right? does it take? <laughs> Just one, probably. <laughs> um, it's the, the idea that in net new work, you're often in more of a kaikaku mode where it's like, because it's net new, we're going to do something that is pretty disruptive or different and it's going zero to one. Yeah. But in run the bank work, you actually have both options. You have Kaizen and Kaikaku. You can do small incremental change or you can reinvent something, but nobody almost ever chooses door number two. Mm. It's like that just doesn't even occur to anybody that Mm -hmm. that that's an option. Mm -hmm. And it's funny to me because it's such a high leverage activity where when you think about the market and and the street and people that might care about how the business works, doing net new things that grow the business are great. And obviously those are important. We need, we need growth and new revenue and all that. Doing some minor improvements is important, but if you can really reinvent a business process or a function or an area and materially change how it works and make it modern or make it more effective, that is that is a huge lever. Like there's a ton of people in that area and that touches a ton of people. And so it's not, it's, it's possibly one of the most effective things you can do or most high leverage things you can do, but, but it's just constantly avoided out of, out of fear. So I think, I think you're right that you probably need some kind of bet mix in each of those buckets. That's like, what, where are we actually just reinventing ourselves in a material way that will give us all these benefits down the road and in some ways, that's where digital has been a little bit stuck on both sides of the aisle. Mm. A lot of digital transformation, particularly in banks, has been like, is this change the bank stuff or run the bank stuff? And it's like, well, it depends how you look at it. And it depends what business process you're digitizing and how aggressively you're doing it. That's really interesting. Yeah. It makes me think of two things. One is our episode with Bill Anderson from Roche. Yeah. And, you know, he he talked in that episode, if you haven't listened to it, it's a really good one. He talked in that episode about how he had challenged his executive team to rethink budgeting. And right. they came back with incremental 
improvements that were principles aligned. And he was like, okay, no budgets. Because he was basically, (laughs) I don't want, I don't want an iterative solution to this. I want something radical, which means we have to just start with a blank sheet of paper. And then they got, they got somewhere really interesting by not being anchored to what they had already been doing. So I think that's just a cool thing. And then it also made me think about a client that I worked with last year. And, um, and one of the, it was interesting because I think so much that happens with these cross-functional missions, like we love to get to the edge of the organization and be like, how will we get more customers? Mm -hmm. How will we change pricing? How will we increase market or increase margin? And it's like, if you track the dollars back to the middle, it's mm-hmm. like, or what if we unfucked mm-hmm. our procurement process right. that is preventing us from bringing anything to market? It's like, well, right. that's an interesting idea. But I think sometimes in creating missions, like we love to look out rather than looking inward and just be like, what's a bunch of new features we could launch rather than being like, if this supply chain workflow was not completely borked, yeah. we could be saving tens of million of dollars or we could be, you know, we could be testing new product, you know, a, a quarter faster or what, whatever the case is. I just think that like in in missions and in the creation of missions, there is a strong pull to what we will do for the market rather than how we will change ourselves. It's new clothes versus workout. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? The mall sounds pretty good. Let's go to the mall. Let's get cookies while we're there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And we'll just get, you know, get the the thing with the right line. I agree completely. And I I think like so many things, there are cognitive biases at play where it's like sometimes you have to do the hard thing to get the, the bigger value. And what's so funny about this particular hard thing is that it's not actually that hard. It's, it, it feels like it's going to be, but yeah. it actually is once you like crack the nut on it, it's actually quite surprising how, how exciting and how, how effortless it can be. So, so I, yeah. true. And how much, like how many of these seemingly intractable problems, and we have both seen many of them in our time doing this work, these seemingly intractable problems are actually a problem of cross-functional teaming and cross-functional teaming alone. And when you dial in the teaming part of it, the problem basically evaporates. Goes away. And it's like, it's so much easier than trying to control the public and how much they're going to yeah. buy and how much they're going to pay for it. Yeah, yeah. Strong agree. All right, do we Go do work it? on your core, everybody. Yeah. Oh, this <laughs> is so fun. Call us and we'll fix your cross-functional teaming stuff. Yeah. And we'll have down. such a good time doing it. We have a lot of ideas, obviously, because we've been talking for like two hours. (laughs) Also, special thanks to Colin Mulholland, whose idea this episode was today. I did a little pulsing of the team in the help channel earlier for what podcast episode they wanted to hear. And Colin said he wanted this one. So there you go, bud. Well, that's that's cross-functional in and of itself. Look at us now. Seems like a reasonable place to, to shut it down. Okay, if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review. I saw someone on LinkedIn who said that I crack her up in my whole day. She also said she left a review. So, you know, we love that. Love to see it or forward the show to someone who needs it. 
As always, quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good. Lots of editing today. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work and organize. You can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. Please do that. We read it. We show it to our mothers. And as for you, thanks for listening. Now go change something. <laughs>